0: This is the Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Analyzing Everton, uh, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Royal Blue channel. Uh, it's the first show in in two weeks. I do apologise. I uh, have been seeing the world, but alongside me, I've got Josh Williams. Um, who jo- hasn't been seen yeah. <laughs> He's been waiting in this pod room patiently for me for the last two weeks. <laughs> or something like that, eh? Yeah, starving me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's good to be back anyway. Uh, a lot's happened whilst I've been away. Uh, missed a couple of games, uh, but we'll be addressing today the the Arsenal game on Sunday, which was a narrow 3-2 defeat. Uh, we'll have a little overview of some things that we've noticed since Angelosi's come in because we haven't really done that yet but that's because there wasn't that many games to look at was there no no uh, and then we'll have a look to a fairly big fixture on the weekend against Manchester United um, so we'll start with Arsenal Josh uh, I assume you you managed to catch th- this game yep um, an ent- entertaining game for for, for neutral. um but what did you? What were your thoughts? Just initial thoughts on the whole.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a decent game. I thought it was. Uh, it went vaguely as expected in terms of the stylistic nature of both teams. Mm. I expected Ansett's team to try and dominate, especially considering he were playing at home. Yeah. And I expected Everton to basically, you know, play vertically, which I'm sure we'll get to in the Ancelotti section
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um. But yeah, it was a competitive game, and maybe I didn't expect as many goals as that. No. But uh,
0: not a goal within the first. What was it? Forty-five seconds,
1: yeah. something yeah, like, something that, like yeah. that. I can't remember what I predicted, actually. and we, we we wouldn't have We're predicted. Not. We didn't we. get to predict it, no. Yeah, you I me? probably
0: would have said two-one or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I I always knew it'd be a tough game, and Evan's record isn't isn't great there, but they got off to a fantastic start, and you know, come full time. <laughs> what are you laughing
1: at? Just no, thanks to y- Yeri Mina who absolutely bulldozed their <laughs> <Kolasinac> <laughs> yeah, yeah. the collateral into
0: what, the penalty box. What what happened with them breaking the line on that goal? The Arsenal defense. Because it seemed like they have a fairly solid line, and then Mina just—it was weird. Because um, I think Everton had two takers over the ball, mm.
1: and the first taker approached it to, to, as as though he was going to hit it. Yeah, I think actually thought he was going to hit it, so he he focused solely on Mina, <laughs> man marking him almost, yeah. and just darted into the penalty box with him. Yeah. And the, the ball didn't actually get hit and delivered into the box until about two or three seconds later.
0: Well, yeah, he basically dropped it. Um... They off sideline by about five yards. <laughs> yeah. uh, mental. I, yeah. I actually
1: screenshotted it and tweeted it. So did you? Yeah. Yeah, check my Twitter at Distance Code do you want to see it? But it does look mad.
0: And oh yeah. <laughs> it looks yeah. like it's photo shot. <laughs> Um but yeah, it was a bit of a topsy turvy game, really, which we'll come on to. Now we'll we'll just start with the full time numbers. Everton actually won the XG. Um according to the data provider I've used. It was um XG of 2 for Everton and 1.3 for Arsenal. And Everton also outshot uh, Arsenal in terms of they took 14 shots, five of which were on target compared to Arsenal's nine with four on target. Um, Possession was fairly even. It was about 48 Everton and 52 Arsenal. But. That's a little bit surprising. Yeah. I thought Arsenal
1: saw more of the ball in that. Yeah. Well, it felt like Everton were a little bit more focused on. Count
0: not counted a second because I wouldn't I wouldn't really call it that but do mm. you know what I mean Yeah, I mean they still did edge it but as I said it was a top turvy game wasn't it It was a little bit Yeah, um, it was just a, I thought it was entertaining but a bit chaotic. Um, Everton obviously take the lead, but then if you look at the if you look at the XG time chart, uh, it's a shame that we can't put the graphic on there. I Might tweet it out later, but it, you know what. Cavaloon's effort is, a, as an XG, of around 0.09, which isn't a lot, really. Um, and then that's basically it for Everton until the second goal right on half-time, um, where it increases off Richarlison's effort. I think Richarlison's shot was, oh yeah, that's XG, of, uh, 0.16. But uh, in the meantime, Arsenal shoot ahead with uh, Nikita. Is it the Nikita. Neketi, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, obviously they scored two goals in response. Um, boost up to the XG there to 1.15. And then they kind of, even though they get the third through a really good finish from Aubameyang, it kind of stays at a level of around 1.2, 1.3 for the remainder of the game after that goal. And Everton, up until the up until really the 70th minute, had an XG of just 0.54, which uh, suggests they, hadn't re- they didn't really create many more clear cut chances after they scored twice, but then obviously both, both from set pieces as well. Correct, yeah. So there wasn't a lot is, from open play, what well, open play was there really? No.
1: But if you if you are generating chances from set pieces and, and their headers maybe hmm. or in Calvert Lewin's case with the first goal over kick, I think it was, yeah, it was, yeah. They're gonna be deemed from a model perspective as a low quality chances yeah. that you're probably not going to score. But obviously Everton found the net with both. Just a little bit more on the possession thing. Everton uh, Arsenal actually had sixty 3% possession up until they, sh- they took the lead. Oh, okay. And then, as soon as they took the lead, by the end of the match, that had dropped down to about 39%.
0: So, that's worth no And then that the way
1: games they came as
0: Yeah, they decided to theoretically shut up shop, you yeah. could argue. Yeah. Uh, which then played into Everton's hands because I thought over the last 20 minutes, Everton became um, a, a lot more threatening side. Said so the bulk of their XG coming on that side and the in that time, sorry, and they really were unlucky not to, to find an equaliser. Um, Cavaloon obviously had some big chances, but, yeah, on the whole, it was, as I said, it was just a bit of, feel like Everton started okay and finished okay, but were a little bit, um, I don't know, they were second best in between, would you say, that's a fair assessment?
1: Yeah, just just on what you've just said there as well, in terms of Everton um, coming at Arsenal towards the final stage of the match, I Suppose that that offers a segue into uh, Andre Gomez, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. I was
0: just uh, I he's wasn't not, he's not on the agenda, is he? So I just wanted no, to make sure yeah. that we were in there because, uh... no, we were, yeah. Because I did, I have put it, I have to say, I think it's something to do with Gomez now. Gomez has been a strange one because. Obviously, we, me and you, we, we kind of rely a lot on data, don't we? Um, and try and interpret the same. To, yeah, help. to a reasonable degree. Yeah, well, 50-50, we tell the last. Yeah, we've just had a big debate about that on another podcast, <laughs> haven't we? Uh, but yeah, we try to incorporate into what we see. So we're not people who just solely sit there, you know, looking at spreadsheets all day. We watch football and, you know, our, our opinions aren't just formed on numbers. It's, it's what you see with the eyes as well. And Gomez has been one of those players at Everton. I think has split people down the middle because on the in the numbers he doesn't look that great, does he? But no, the stuff that maybe isn't as quantifiable in numbers, he seems to do really well, which is why he's very popular at Everton. And certainly when he come on, considering how long he's been out, I thought he, he changed the game a little bit in Everton's favour. Yeah, it's it's one of the best performances
1: I've seen him. I've seen him give. In terms of his possession game,
0: yeah,
1: uh, spreading the play from side to side and being quite expansive with his passing, yeah. I think he, he nearly sets up Richarlison for a goal, but it got slightly intercepted by Bellerin and, and then cleared by Leno. I think, yeah. But uh, if you actually check his passing network, um, which
0: sadly we can't show, I don't think. No, again, and we're going to try and one of us, my ration, it probably be me. I'll, I'll tweet, tweet it out after all with the show, um. I was actually going to
1: do a piece on it earlier in the week, but it just felt as though how I many minutes did he actually play half an hour? I mean, yeah, yeah. It just felt as though it were not enough for a full piece, but I don't know. I just I just think he he offered a solid sense of midfield presence that Everton have maybe missed. For a yeah, there much. was a
0: there was a varied range of passes there, wasn't there? there was a lot of balls into the final third. There was cross field passes, and I think what really captures his performance is he completed twenty five successful passes uh, in his cameo uh, second half cameo and that was two less than Sigurdsson completed and he played a full 90 minutes
1: yeah well that was another thing i was just going to add then he showed an intent to actually get on the ball he was showing for the ball plenty uh once a possession and things like that which a lot of players don't do really yeah
0: he was aggressive with, with it wasn't he? he was aggressive in his past choice and i think that was a big factor in everton getting creating more chances um we already touched on that. They had some big chances in the in the closing stages and someone who got quite a bit of stick, even despite um, scoring, was Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um, he had an XG in the game of 1.4, which is high, isn't it? And you'd probably argue that you'd be expecting to... Well, you'd be hoping that they'd get at least maybe two goals in the game. He's only got the one... Um, I don't know what your opinion was on the, on the chances he had. Or I think any criticism is a bit harsh, personally.
1: Mm. Um, I think the criticism should come and should be directed towards players that aren't getting on the end of chances and aren't yeah. and, 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 and taking shots and things like that. Like, uh, I remember earlier in the season, the Charity Shield. It is Charity Shield, isn't it? Community yeah, Shield. yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Oh, I can't remember. Community Shield. Community I think shield. now, yeah.
1: The Liverpool Manchester City game. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, I think Salah took ten shots, didn't score. 10's a lot. Yeah. those that don't know. Uh, didn't score. Divakerigi on the opposite flank took one shot. Salah got the brunt of the criticism. I understand why, mm. but at the same time, the lad who took one shot in the match on the opposite flank is is getting away scot-free and but when he's been not even half the threat. Yeah. So, I think that Cavalloans getting in these situations, getting shots away, being a problem for the opposing team, you know, in the majority of matches, maybe some of those some of those chances that he missed will find a net. And that's just what he's got to continue doing.
0: Yeah. Well, I thought we'd do a bit of a, a myth busting scenario on this really because as I said people are accusing him of you know, missing big chances. Now I assume when they're saying things like big chances, the 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 thinking sitters. Mm. I guess. Um and this is where, you know, a, a lot of people listening will be familiar with XG, others won't, others might be really against it. But I think before commenting, you, you should maybe read up on, on it because it's really, really good for these situations in terms of determining what was actually a big chance and what was a lot more difficult to score than you realise. Um, so far this season, Dominic calvert lewin has a combined XG of 11.1. So that means, based on the chances he's created, a... Average a player of average ability would be expected to score maybe what eleven goals? Yeah, yeah. Based on the shots he's taken, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Calvert Lewin scored twelve, so there's a. In, I mean, it's not a huge overperformance, is it? But no, I think the crucial aspect is that it's not an underperformance. Exactly. Yeah, I was just gonna say it's it's a case of, you know, it's not he's not massively overperforming, but he is. At worst, he's where he should be in terms of scoring the chances he should. And I, I think when you watch the game, you can be impacted by uh, the old narratives you tell yourselves where you think he should have scored, this should have scored, that, when in reality, that isn't always the case. And Calvert-Lewin is performing really at, at a level he should be and he's scoring the chances he should be on a, on a fairly consistent basis. But
1: the thing is... You'd probably argue that he shouldn't have scored the overhead kick. Yeah, so he's balanced. All, yeah. He's balanced it out in an over a ninety-minute period at least because he scored at least one of his
0: chances that he's been given, albeit the most difficult one. Yeah, that's 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 a really good point. Um, and I suppose one other thing I want to add with Calvin is, for me, what what people seem to forget with young players is one of the biggest things that they lack is consistency. Yeah, isn't it? Because they're still trying to fine-tune the game. You know, calvert feels like he's been around for a few years, but he's still only 21, uh, t- 22 I think he is now. Like, 22 is still really young. So, y- you've got to accept that there's going to be games where he's not quite there or he's not performing at the same level he was the week before, but that's just how it is, isn't it, for young players? Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. I'd be interested to see actually where Harry Kane was at 22
1: years old. Yeah. I don't think he was still alone at that point, was he, but... I know he had a few of those spells out before he actually established himself in the team, and yeah. Yeah. I think Calvert-Lewin for me, I've got no concerns about him. I think he's going to be be a really high level, and uh, if he can continue playing alongside with Charleson for for an extended period, and they can develop together under Ancelotti, I think they're going to become a real a real handful for the opposing teams to deal with because they're quite the both all rounders. Really, they both yeah. they both got very few weaknesses to the game.
0: They're like perfect in the two, aren't they? And when you consider they're both twenty-two and under, both scored ten-plus league goals in this in the campaign. It's, I mean, it's something to be celebrated, really. And uh, well,
1: you don't, you don't usually get strikers that are that are that young, while also being very physical, but also very mobile as well. Yeah, possible. So you can hold up, you can hold up a ball and things like that. You can, you can battle, scrap, and that sort of thing. Mm. But they can, they can offer a threat in behind as well and you, you don't need to get that mix, especially
0: two strikers in the same squad. Yeah. It, 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 it's a bit of a cliche line, but it, it is like, you know, are, the pair of them are handfuls and they both bring different issues for defence, don't they, to deal with? Yeah. It, it should theoretically be
1: a dream for a number 10 type to play behind those two mm. just because of the amount of, I, I suppose, attention that they will draw from defenders. But... I don't know, I'm not sure Sigurdson. Man,
0: he has, he has actually...
1: No, he hasn't, But I'm saying. He hasn't been deployed as a number 10 behind those two, has he?
0: Not, not since the 4-4-2, just because there's no room for yeah, it. Yeah, he's
1: been deployed as a number 10, but behind the lone striker, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, behind, that's uh, right. In
0: a 4-2-3-1. Um, I mean, I, I won't come just onto Sigurdsson just yet, because I'll... <laughs> <laughs> I'll sharpen your knife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll uh, well. But what I will do though, we, we, on the subject of, I'll use it as a kind of segue on the subject of those type of players. Another player who got a ton of stick, and I think it's good to maybe talk to you about him because you did a a rare Everton article on this player not so long ago. Was um, Alex Awobi. Awobi got um, criticised a fair bit, and he has been since he's come really. Of just not being up to up to standards. Um I mean what are your kind of general thoughts on the Wolbe and you know, what were your thoughts of as a game on Sunday? I just think he's he's the type of player you have
1: to you have to judge certain players differently based on basically what they're good at. Mm. Um and I think a Wolbe isn't really that he's not gonna be the type that is gonna find the net a great deal. Mm. And he may not even be the type to register that many assists, to be honest. And already the perspective on that will probably be, will he useless then?" Because yeah, he's, yeah. he's an attacking player, <laughs> which I understand. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you've bought him. So you've got to use him for what he's good mm. at. And what he is good at, which I've said a few times, I think, on this podcast, is he's good at progressing the ball, finding the penalty box, finding the final third. Um, or at least that's what he attempts to do a great deal. Um. And just for a bit of perspective on that, I looked at the numbers for this season. So, 132 wide midfield players um, on the left and the right have amassed over a thousand minutes this season in Europe's top five leagues. Um, out of those 132, it will be his eighth for through passes attempted per 90, and he's 15th for passes to the penalty box per 90. Um, and last season this bit was in the piece I think last season for Arsenal he was top for passes to the penalty box attempted per 90 and maybe third for three passes or something like that so that's clearly what he's trying to do on the pitch mm. a lot um, so he's a, he's a risky player he's a player that will give the ball away an awful lot but usually players in that mould it's the whole risk versus reward thing mm. so when when his passes come off they should be highly valuable and they'll maybe result in a scoring chance materialising or or something like that um, I think the issue is if you do look at his accuracy he isn't completing a great deal of them um, which is maybe a problem and maybe is something that A. he needs to refine in terms of his decision making when and when not to attempt these balls or B. from Ancelotti's perspective he's obviously trying to use them um, basically make his environment on the pitch uh, more suitable to him succeeding with those passes, mm-hmm. basically. Certain players making certain runs, him operating in more space, you know, whatever it may be, just to make what he's trying to do um, more successful and more impactful,
0: I yeah. suppose. Yeah, I mean, yeah, spot on. It's. Uh, I do wonder whether, as you touched on there, he's quite aggressive in his... Um, his pass selection, shall we say, he'll often attempt things more penetrative and as as a result, it does often involve um, misplaced passes or interceptions. And that stuff can often impact um, a fan's opinion on how he's performed. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean,
1: it's it's, it's almost like percentage football, really. Um, So some players will... Will spot an opening, spot a pass, or whatever, mm. and they'll think to themselves, there's about a 60% chance of that coming off Yeah, in a split second in their own heads. Some players will look at the 60% and think to themselves, it's not worth doing, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Whereas some players will see the opening 60% in their own heads and think, I'll try Yeah. And those players generally tend to look quite rough. Um, in the way that they play and they tend to give the ball away a lot and all things like that. But usually then, if you look at the numbers beneath the surface, they've are usually quite. they usually got a bit of end product to the game. They've usually got goals and assists and all this kind of stuff. So when, it just depends really, I suppose.
0: Yeah, when you look at his, his numbers in isolation as well, they, they surprise me a little bit. I think it was... Now, this isn't my data. This is Ryan Williams on Twitter who tweeted this out. But... Um, 59 minutes played, 20 touches, um, 90% pass success rate, one key pass. So um, be, sh- yeah, yeah. That's quite surprising. Yeah, two shots and three interceptions. Like numbers alone, it looks like he's had a he has he hasn't performed at a bad level. But I said we 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 watched them and it, I don't know. It, 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 I'll be honest. I just want to say now, I wasn't impressed with his performance. I think. I mean, I think some of the narratives may stem
1: from in the Arsenal game, at least. Obviously, two of our uh, two of Everton's breaks, two of Everton's promising moves in the first half mm. ended with him hitting two shots over the bar. Didn't even hit the target. Yeah. So that's obviously not great. Yeah, and that will form a perception in your head as a supporter watching them. Yeah, um,
0: but not what you're saying no. I'm glad you said that actually, because again, <clears throat> plenty of assists here for me. We, we can move on to just what you've said. There's something that. Now this has actually been a recurrent issue for me when when watching and analysing Everton's games and I think we um we've seen we saw that a lot on Sunday. Arsenal's defence looked a little bit shaky for me. I don't know what you thought. Obviously they conceded from two set pieces and two defendable set pieces in my eyes. Um they just looked a little bit uneasy, but too often I felt like Everton lacked patience in the final third. So they they build attacks, but there was there was too many rushed shots, or they were too keen to swing a ball in, into the box, a bit like a nameless cross, you know, hoping that it, it land it may land somewhere near Calvert Lewin, who's strong in there, he might get his head on it. And it feels like all the top sides in the division tend to be good at penning sides into their defensive third and just demonstrate a little bit of patience. You know, I'm not forcing the issue. Mm. Um, ju- just being a little bit wiser with the ball and making it work better than basically taking a pot shot, it, it flying over the bar, or in Sigurdsson's case, nearly at the corner flag. Uh, and what that would then do is just basically hit reset button on the attack, hand possession back to the opposition, and all the good work that you've done in terms of progressing the ball up the pitch is undone. Yeah, I know
1: what you mean, but in, in I'm not exactly sure which scenarios you're referring to, but from my perspective on that, I think the intent will be to do that. Almost. I think Ancelotti's obviously spoke about the whole vertical passing thing. Mm. I think he's appreciated that once looking at his players, they're not particularly suited to breaking down a stubborn defence because mm. he hasn't really got, you know, many inventive creative players really, has he? But he's got players that are quite direct. Mm. So, I think Everton's overall attack, certainly for the rest of the season, and up to now, under Ancelotti, has been very front to back very quickly. Yeah. Progress from A to B as quickly as you can. And I think it's... And I, I know what you mean in terms of a lot of patience, but I think it'll have almost been an instruction from the staff, from Ancelotti, to, especially when you're facing sides in the top six, try and exploit their expansive shape as quickly as you can. mm um, Maybe it's resulted in them shooting when they shouldn't shoot and being a little bit reckless with the decision-making, which could obviously improve. But I do think it's intentional to to quickly progress and quickly get a shot away um, as a means of attacking.
0: Yeah, and so when I was trying to work this out after Sunday, because it, it was irritating me, I basically discovered what you've just said was the case. So I've noticed since Ancelotti come in, Everton have made the third fewest number of passes within 20 yards of the opposition's goal. But there's also been a drop in their PPDA. Now, for those who don't know, passes per defensive action, long story short, it's basically a tool that's used for um, measuring how aggressive a side's press is. Now, on the silver, Everton had quite an aggressive press, which is why you'd often see them... Not give away many shots, but when they did, they tended to be of a high quality. Really, that was a theme that we touched on a fair bit just before silver sacking. Uh, but there's been a drop from around, it, it, the PPDA under silver was around eight, and it's 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 ten now, so that ranks around mid-table, um, which suggests that Everton may be focusing more on solidity, remain a little bit more compact, and then as you said hitting sides fast on the break. Another side who ranked fairly low in terms of passes near the opposition's goal and have a low PPDA are Wolves. I thought you were going to say Wolves. Yeah, I was going to leave the floor open to you there, but I wasn't sure if putting put you on the spot. But I knew you would have known who it was yet, yeah, Wolves. The Wolves are obviously a very good side and they have a blueprint in place, don't they? Hmm. And it, it seems Everton are replicating that somewhat. So I have no issue with that. And for the reasons you stated I agree with it, Evan haven't, haven't got the, that creative spark and the, they had issues on the silver, breaking sides down. But on the other hand, I just think sometimes you've just got to be a little bit wiser in possession and also take into consa- consideration the opponent and the game scenario. So if you're trailing 3-2 against a side you look a little bit uneasy in the defence, you've, you've got to then maybe adapt it a little bit and start thinking about slowing it down in the final third and just probing and making the defence uneasy. Because for me, too many times, Arsenal were getting getting away with it a little bit.
1: Yeah, no, uh, I know exactly what you mean. But in terms of Ancelotti doing that, I think he's just basically adjusted accordingly to the strengths and weaknesses of his players. Yeah. I think we, when Silva was you know, in the process of getting sacked and things like that, we spoke about one of the overriding issues from my perspective at mm. least seemed to be that he wanted to play quite a modern idealistic game mm. but without the players to do it mm. um, high pressing and dominating the ball and all this stuff when you've not really got the players for that I think Ancelotti you know I suppose typical Italian tac- tactician mm. has appreciated what he's got set up his team to mask the weaknesses and highlight their strengths yeah. and it's it's shown
0: yeah no, I'd agree with that. I, I suppose it's a, it's a. Well, in fact, I'll just quickly round off Arsenal before we just continue that point with that um, Ancelotti. I think overall, it was a, it was a more competitive game. It was nice to see Everton go to one of the traditional big six and have a competitive game, but it still felt like they were just a little bit short, and they, there was still a little bit of. For, for me, I I felt Everton were unlucky to lose. No, oh,
1: okay, fair. I felt they, uh, they deserved at least a point. The
0: Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast. Yeah, I, uh, I think the XG captured that as well. Yeah, maybe I'm being harsh. I just, I don't know. I'm always a little bit more negative because I was just frustrated, to be honest. Um, but <laughs> maybe, okay, maybe, maybe to get a point out the game, but not winning. It's, it felt like it was still it was too much in the balance where there's. It just shows Everton at that stage where he can go somewhere like Arsenal and and comfortably control and pick up three points. But to be fair, there's not many that can. Well, they're still the only the un- undefeated and, side in the Premier League this year uh, in 2020 in, in all competitions. They haven't been not the only side. Sorry, they, they're still undefeated in all competitions since in okay, 2020. Yeah. yeah, which is uh, it does show that. I think Arsenal is yet got, to lose as well. I don't think he's lost. He, they got beat by Chelsea. No, he didn't or United someone no Hold I don't
1: on. know I, I saw that, uh, that that he hadn't been beaten maybe it's worth double checking but yeah, against that, uh, Chelsea well, they went down to 10 men but the I Martin Elliott I could have sworn
0: they got beat at home by someone I'll double on. check it now but. I, I just I know someone will be giving us sticky if I'm not knowing this <laughs> um, but yeah anyway look it was it was good to be it, it was nice to see that he went somewhere like that with competitive it was just frustrating that maybe they couldn't get a result um, and moving on to what we kind of touched on was uh, the, the changes that we've seen under on, on Ancelotti we've already highlighted the big one in the sense that there seems to be less focus on pressing um, more focus on just being direct we've saw an increase in things like um, vertical slash forward passes for those who are going to be pedantic over there <laughs> won't say any names um, he hasn't lost part of way. He hasn't lost. No, no. Fair play. He's drawn he's a lot. I'll give you that, like, but no losses. Well, he's doing well there. We have actually bigging him up, weren't we, on this show? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah same but name. I think both, to be honest, but Arteta
1: yeah. and Ancelotti
0: are both clearly making differences. Yeah. Well, I, you know, when I look back on it now, I think what's happened is the, clearly Arsenal were looking at Arteta and Ancelotti, and Everton were looking at Arteta and Ancelotti. I think Arsenal felt they were in a position to uh, do something you know, long term, where they could uh, kind of, where that had to come in, be given patience to build something. Whereas it, it feels like Everton were in a position where they needed a proven winner who could just manage one of the tougher sides in the in the division. Something that M- she actually said, he said, Everton is one of the toughest jobs in England at the moment because there's such expectations and they don't think that an inexperienced coach can handle it, as they've seen with the likes of Silva and Koeman, who mm-hmm. were quite early on to their managerial careers. And I guess for both clubs, the appointments make sense. Ancelotti makes sense in terms of experience. And Arteta makes sense for Arsenal. And that's why they're probably both doing well already. Um, but just on, from the Everton-Ancelotti Ar- side of things, we we have seen improvements, haven't we? Um in terms of the uh, build and play. And we touched on the, the points I made earlier, but it, things like there's more shots per 90, the XG per 90 is better. Um, so I, just, I guess I wanted to ask you, do you think that him coming in and not making any sweeping drastic changes and just instead making those subtle adjustments um, in line with what he has at his disposal is being kind of key to that? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what he is. He's renowned
1: for being, I think his book's called Quiet Leadership, isn't it? He? Mm. And he's quite like a calming, you know, relaxed figure who you can never imagine him to be a suit down mm. and you can
0: never imagine him to be a suit up, really. Just on that, before you continue, I think that's such a good point that we should probably just highlight because there has been two bad moments already for them. The defeat in Anfield to like a second, third string Liverpool side in the Cup and also the. Newcastle game where he kind of threw away that 2-0 lead to finish 2 all. And, I mean, there was fallout, as you'd expect from a fan point of view from the Anfield game, but it did kind of feel like he, he handled both situations really well.
1: Yeah, that's what we know. He's, yeah. he's quite
0: logical, he's quite
1: grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, and he seems to have applied that way of thinking to his, his actual squad. And, as you say, there's no drastic changes and, and things like that, just a slight alteration to how the team attack on the pitch, slight oscillations to how the team defend, mm. a formational switch, and maybe a few words in, in in the ears of the players. And if you're getting advice of off figuring the mould of Carlo Ancelotti, you can, you'd be a fool not to take it at the yeah. end of the day. And I think it, because of his stature in the game, players are likely to listen. And it's resulted in quick improvements already, really.
0: Yeah. And it, it's also with obviously we're about nine or ten league games now into his um into his tenure. And we've seen vast improvements on the pitch, but it's also good to see that in terms of like the um the underlying numbers. So if you're looking at expected points, which takes into consideration expected goals and expected goals against um Everton uh, fifth in the table in that since he's come in, which is basically a fairly good assessment of how they've been performing and suggests as I said it's only a sample, small sample size we know that but it suggests that you we're not probably going to see a major drop off between now and the end of the season are we
1: no and that's interesting as well without him making a signing, yeah uh, which I'm looking forward to to actually seeing what he targets because I'd imagine he'd have quite a big say in not the players he wants but certainly the roles and the you know the types of profiles maybe that he feels he's missing yeah um and you know the experience that he's had, you'd like to think that he'd have a fairly accurate idea of what he actually needs to start competing at a higher level. And if everyone can deliver those players,
0: I think uh, the the immediate future next next eighteen months or so will look quite promising. We're well, seeing it this season. I think next season, especially the um, the Premier League looks like it's going to be really competitive. Obviously, I know, you know, Liverpool. Uh, uh, miles ahead I think City will probably come again and be a little bit closer to the next season but beyond that it's it's really the Premier League is really hard to call and we've seen that a little bit this season and I you expect Everton to improve a lot in the summer as well so. Yeah no I agree
1: I mean looking at looking at the sides outside Liverpool and City I think you've got a lot of um, a lot of different balances there in terms of the squads that you label as good and talented Seems to be being led by managers that you could almost label as unqualified, mm-hmm. whereas the managers that you would certainly label as qualified are in charge of squads that maybe aren't that great. Yeah. So, I suppose you've, you've got that there where, like, there's very few teams that have very few clubs in, in the Premier League at the minute that have got elite on
0: the playing side and the managerial side. So, really good point there. And do you do? You, I'm sorry, we're going off on a tangent here, but hopefully, people are enjoying it. I'm just wondering, do you think that the likes of maybe um, Tottenham and our opponents this weekend that will come on to us, United, you wouldn't even rule out managerial changes with them in the next year, would you? Because um, Solskjaer, although I said we'll touch on them shortly, are, are, are doing a lot better. But the Mourinho thing at Tottenham's a strange one, isn't it? And obviously they're one of the established top six sides, but... I don't know. It doesn't seem like it, the fits working. It already feels like the wheels are coming off a little bit sooner than than I would have expected. Yeah, I
1: know what you mean. I think in the Mourinho, on the Mourinho side, um, I think he's he's making a mistake in terms of the negative publicity he brings to himself. Mm. I, I understand he wants to give the public reasons why he's not getting results, but sometimes just keep it to yourself. Yeah, focus on the positive aspects. Just keep staying positive, and and before you know it, you'll overcome all these injuries and people. But in in the immediate moments, because he expresses all the all the issues he's dealing with to get to make himself look better, it makes the whole club feel negative, really. Yeah. But at the same time, I think when Spurs have got a fully fit squad, I would expect them to start, um, just improving basically mm-hmm. undermining you. I think they've. I think Stephen Bergheim's been a good sign.
0: Oh, yeah, he was a really good sign.
1: Um, and I, I'll be in, intrigued to see, once they've got, been through a full pre-season with him, how they actually do next season, because I fancy them to do quite well, to be honest. Oh, oh do you? Be- yeah, yeah. Beyond that, not maybe not so much. I think I think he'll have a very, very brief light over there.
0: Yeah, fine finite career there. Yeah, but <laughs> I think
1: he's been handed a terrible
0: a terrible hand in terms of his start and and how things have went for him? I'm not sure. You know, I'm still undecided. <laughs> I think he... Uh, I don't know. He seems to be doing a lot of his tactics that he does at the latter stage of his club, but he seems to be starting them. Yeah. But uh, one to watch. But we'll move on to United because obviously everything have faced them this weekend. Um, United is an interesting one because everyone talks about them underachieving and, of course, why their standards they are. But the, they close closed the gap... Re- Really? Well, a lot on Chelsea. They they now got one eye on fourth. I think they're only three points behind. Um, fifth in the table. But they seem good value for that position as well. Expected points as them fourth. Um obviously they're in the top four for like expected goals and expected goals against um at the time recording, they're gonna play between now and Everton's game, but the six games undefeated across all competitions. Um do you think it's a little bit of a bad time for Everton to be playing United's? Um, I wouldn't exactly
1: say it's a bad time to play them, but I do think that, you know, the the trend of maybe laughing at what they're doing, mm-hmm. Um, I do think they're silently doing a bit better than what people think. Mm-hmm. And I do think they're going towards something that's better than what they've experienced since Ferguson's left, mm-hmm. at least. Um, I look at the squad and obviously one issue with what he's doing in terms of Ed Woodward is I'd I'd say he's generally now realised the right idea of how to go about things, but he's going about them a little bit slowly. Yeah. Um, he doesn't seem capable of organising deals for plenty of players. It seems to be really <laughs> one at a time and then yeah. and then the most I can get done on a single
0: Windows 3. And it feels like, it, it never feels like the kind of, um, the unearthed gem or it never feels like it drifts under the radar. It feels like, the media is getting drip-fed information for around four to five weeks before. Yeah. Like I, I, I heard from um, one well just one of our sources from the MEN office that um, the the it looks like they're eyeing up Grealish. Um, yeah, it'll be in inter- interesting. to see the summer moves, but what I mean, but already it's like it's getting somebody's there, kind of you know, giving an idea that they're interested in this player and that player, and. That always, to me, uh, brings speculation, normally increases transfer fees, and it's just, it's not a good way of doing business, is, I guess is what I'm trying to no, say. No, no,
1: I know, there's still plenty of flaws there and things like that, but mm. I just mean, in terms of how they've dealt with the squad mm. in the past 18 months or so, well, I suppose it's shorter than 18 months, actually, but... Maybe just, since
0: the summer onwards.
1: Yeah, just around that period. I think they've, they're getting to a point where they've got a a squad with a, a young core of players that could all develop together to a fit at quite a high level, to be honest. I think, you know, you look at Marcus Rashford, Bruno Fernandez, Mason Greenwood, Scott McTominay, Brandon Williams. Um, These are players that are all in and around, even Dean Henderson, I suppose you could add into it. Mm. These are all players that are certainly under the age of 25, at least. Mm. Uh, but all have good careers ahead of them I think all yeah. have good levels all very mobile physical quite modern good on the ball entertainment all that sort of stuff yeah I agree uh, and if they, if they I assume they'll get rid of Pogba in, the, Pogba in the summer it depends how they reinvest that if they keep going in this way but I do think they've generally improved I think the
0: defence is quite underrated got a good defence yeah they have got a good defence th- you know people it feels like people were so desperate to you know ridicule Maguire and see the defence too poor because of how much money they paid for them. And yeah, I do think they paid too much, but at the same time, I do think he's been a huge improvement on what they have. And you know, he's club captain now uh, Yeah, since Young's gone.
1: I think what it is, but I think people are inclined to laugh at what they're doing because they seem to have reached the point where they have appreciated that, listen, we need a few transition years here yeah. to get back to the level. And I think people are laughing at that because it's Man United and you just don't expect that. You don't yeah. expect them to need time away from winning trophies yeah. in order to reach a certain level. But I think for me, at least, the way I view the game, credit to them for recognising that. Hopefully they don't achieve it. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> yeah. But I think that's where the the laughter stems from, as opposed to the fact that the, they are just willingly accepting a few years of nothing nothingness, um, nothingness year mm. with future. I suppose once Pep and Klopp Depart from England,
0: United will be ready to take over again or something yeah, like that. that was a good point. Whether that will happen or not it remains to be seen. Well, um, well, one of the biggest things I've found analysing United, um, and you've, I'm sure, I've found the same, is they had a big issue in terms of breaking sides uh, down who sat in a low block or were happy, you know, to just remain compact. It's why you often saw them getting results against, um, you know, top six sides. Uh, who will give you a lot of space and try and dominate the ball hitting them on the counter but then the they, they had pretty poor results against the teams who, who who chose not to try and pursue possession um but and and I just want to say that I, I think you know that Everton beat them 4-0 last season deploying that tactic of sitting back and then hitting them on the counter it, it was it was a pretty perfect execution of the same at Old Trafford, the Everton tried something similar, but it was when Ferguson was in charge and, you know, it was a, it very much back to basics, trying to grind out results. Everton got, got away with a 1-1 that day, but um, if you looked at the XG, it was 1.77 to 0.39. So I think Everton, if, if we're being brutally honest, were rather fortunate. They faced 23 shots in that game. Yeah, um, I think I remember that. Hang on, you're to the XG was what? 1.77 oh 1.77 I thought it was 0.77 but I, will, I will whisper that's as per White Scouts so <laughs> okay. it could be something there will hit around in reality but anyway the point I'm trying to make is Everton have enjoy, enjoyed success sitting back and hitting them on the counter over the last couple of games but they recruited as well on a person that you touched on earlier in January and I wonder whether he's, he's going to change their fortunes in that regard and that's um, the acquisition of Bruno Fernandes do you do you like Fernandez as a player? I do, yeah. I mean he
1: showed up as obviously we look into to data quite a bit and things like that, mm. and he always showed up as what we would deem as an output merchant, mm. um, in terms of you know, if you look at what he's doing on the pitch, he just does a great deal more than virtually every other player, certainly in Portugal. Shooting lots, um dribbling lots, getting fouled a lot creating chances for others, uh, assists just loads yeah. to the extent that you look like an outlier in comparison to your peers. And usually when that happens, a, a European team with a bigger stature than Sporting will come in and, and, you know, take him basically. But I found it weird that I couldn't get my head really around why he took until the age of about 25 to, to actually secure a transfer for. Um, it's so still I, a puzzle, I, that one, isn't it? Yeah, well, I I mean, I know his price was big. Yeah. That can come into it. I think he was just 65 million or something like that. Uh, and obviously there's some doubt to come into it as to whether he's got a certain character or whatever, but by all accounts, he was a bit of a leader over there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think based on his early showings since moving, he's still clearly that output player. Yeah. Still clear, I mean, he might be a little little bit rough around the edges in certain moments, but he clearly delivers. Um, just a player with product, basically, and... If you he have mainly been deployed as number ten, I think. And if you imagine the player that he's replaced in that in that position Jesse Lingard, <laughs> he's arguably the polar opposite. Yeah. He might Jesse Lingard might do good things in terms of generating space for others and his mobility and as things I like say, that. But he
0: does well in terms of pressing the ball and things when they're out of possession, but his actual know. output is yeah. virtually non existent. Yeah. And Fernandez is
1: the opposite. So players with output ultimately Win matches for you, so yeah, he spots on.
0: I think what I've noticed is he's shown well the data, but he just purely just eyes alone. He just seems a really intelligent player. You know, he I just been impressive. Yeah, he seems to pick up really good positions. He seems to find the gaps. You know, everything that people ridicule Sigurdsson for in terms of. Go and missing as the as they call it. Fernandez is the opposite. You know, he he is really good to find a pocket space to receive possession, just turn to turn around and make things happen. Yeah, um, he seems to have a degree
1: of uh, authority over the over the pitch and things mm-hmm. like that. That was another thing that he showed up as in Portugal. He was a player who took a lot of shots, but also made made plenty of passes and, and assumed possession a lot, which generally is quite an odd mold. Usually, those that shoot a lot don't see much of the ball. Or those that see much the ball don't choose a lot. Fernandez was able to combine that, yeah, which, um, which makes him quite
0: unpredictable.
1: Yeah, which makes him a, a a big a big facet of of whatever team he's playing for. In terms of how the attack, he's obviously a central player. If you can keep him quiet, then you're keeping a large part of that team's general attack quiet.
0: Yeah, whether that be Sporting or or Manchester United. Yeah, spot on. Um, Everton have actually lost three of the last eight games against uh, United at Goodison, so it feels as though Everton, uh, sorry, Goodison, is becoming a little bit more of that tough place to go that it was in the past. Um, you know, back in the Ferguson under Ancelotti, and Everton have lost one one game in eleven at Goodison Park now, all competitions, in ninety minutes only as well, and that was that. Remember that Norwich. Two 0 game, that kind of oh, results. Yeah, it yeah, was crazy. Yeah, um, so I think it it is going back to being that, especially on emotional games like this. We've talked about on other podcasts about um, how it's 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 always a tough game for Liverpool, even though Everton don't win a lot of them. They tend to make it difficult for Liverpool to win at Goodison. One win in seven visits, I think Liverpool have there, and obviously United uh, three wins in eight. So it, I think for the emotional games, it, the crowd tend to get behind, and it, it is a it is kind of a a tough place for these teams to go to. So I guess with that in mind, and everything that we talked about, wonder what your verdict might be for this one. Um, I think it's going to be tight,
1: but I've actually got written down here 1-2-1. Oh, have you? Um, I do, you know, from. From an outsider's perspective, I suppose it it does feel as though Everton do generally tend to play quite well and cause United problems whenever they face off. Um, and I think what you've just mentioned there about the home uh, aspect, I think that stems from Everton just in the past few months to become a bit more aligned mm, yeah. than they were before. Mm. I think now the fans have obviously got belief in the manager in, in the manager who's in charge, and the manager who's in charge has tweaked the playing style a little bit to suit Everton as a club a bit more Mm. they're a bit more direct aren't they a bit more forward a bit more aggressive if you like rather than just building slowly
0: side to side you know what's funny I think our first ever show we kind of rammed open that point didn't we that Everton should be a side a lot more aggressive on the ball because that's what fans kind of react to at Goodison
1: yeah I wasn't overly sure that Ancelotti would be the man to instill that that, that style of game because he's He's always been the type, really, to change wherever he's been. Mm. You know what I mean, depending on the players at his disposal. But obviously, he's recognised the need for this at Goodison. Whether that be because of Everton or whether that be because of the players he's got, but whatever it is, it is very well suited.
0: I thought uh, Michael Cox wrote an interesting article on a unnamed um, publisher <laughs> <laughs> um, where he, he just said something along the lines of kind of he he started out being quite pragmatic previously, talking about Ancelotti, you know, early on in his career um, based on, you know, what, who he learned from, which was obviously one of the great Saki. Um, but then he, he, because he was going to these top clubs, he was obviously benefiting from, you know, having world-class players that he could build a side around. But at Everton, he hasn't really got that and he's kind of gone back to being a little bit more pragmatic with his team and and it's it, it's working you know it's it, it's good to see um yeah. just in terms of vague to myself I think it I haven't I'm not focusing too much on it even though it'd be nice but in terms of maybe chasing a, a place in Europe um it's a must-win game I think this one it really is and I, I do think Everton will be up for it and I'm actually backing them to win 2-1 as well um I think United are better than what they were, but United seem to put together a little run where you think they're they're out of the woods a little bit and then they'll have two or three bad results on the run and I'm hoping this'll be another little sequence of that, starting with a win for Everton. So yeah, I'm gonna go two one. Um but we'll wait and see and we'll we'll wrap it up there. Um Cheers for waiting for me, Josh. I'm gonna take you Fernando's now. <laughs> yeah, thanks mate. You um, can play but yeah, cheers, cheers for everyone who's listening. Um, should be back to weekly now. We've got no holidays planned. I don't think Josh has got any plans though. No, dedicated me for the next <laughs> few months. <laughs> That's it. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully every week now until the end of the season. But thanks very much and um, fingers crossed for a win on the weekend. Cheers. Cheers. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.